Welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. My name is Hisha Mazuz, and this is a show where I sit down with high-achieving and inspirational recruitment professionals across the globe. It's my job to deconstruct how they have accelerated their recruitment career and remained at the top of their game by uncovering their daily habits, mindset, approach to leadership, and much, much more. Before we get into this episode, I just wanted to say a massive thank you for all of your support over the last week in uh, sharing the podcast on LinkedIn, um, dropping me a message saying it's uh, you're glad to have it back. And um, just overall, thank you for all of your support. It brings me absolute joy to bring these uh, recruitment stories and journeys um, back to you on a weekly basis. Now, I had um, another amazing Apple Podcast review come through this week, and I just wanted to say a special thank you to Emily HG, who said that I love this podcast. We've implemented it as a training exercise. I've got the team to listen to one a week, and we discuss how we can take people's positives and apply them to our processes. We've already seen an improvement of accountability, mindset, and ambition within the company simply by listening, discussing as a team, and learning from others. Emily, thank you so much for um, submitting that and and putting that through on Apple Podcasts. We love seeing uh, the reviews and uh, things like that come through. And uh, look, that is what this podcast is all about. It's about sharing um, and learning from what other people have done in their recruitment career, the failures, the mistakes, the learnings that they've gone through. So all of you can apply it to your own recruitment career. So Emily, that brings me absolute happiness to see that. And thank you so much. Now, I am very confident that this episode, this week's episode is not going to disappoint. And uh, here is what's in store. I think millennials first and foremost get an extremely bad rap right like us millennials uh you know <laughs> everyone's always complaining that like we don't do anything we are a business that's being built exclusively on millennials i think it's bullshit that you know millennials don't work hard and don't you know want to achieve things and be successful i think what we always did have and what attracted me to the business was it was just this relentless ambition that mm was running through the entire business and i even got that from the interview process when i went in and met them and that was super inspiring and this idea of like you could be you know you could be the ceo one day if you wanted to and um you know my boss who who hired me harry utan um you know had a team of five people when i started and he's now the global ceo This podcast has evolved and is now called Recruitment Mentors. This is due to the new business I'm launching called Recruitment Mentors. Why am I launching this business? This has come from the complete belief that if you have the inner ambition and drive to become the best recruiter you can be, then you shouldn't be limited or prevented by barriers that sit outside of your control. If that's working for an organization that simply doesn't make enough money to invest in learning development, if that's working for a manager who you learn most from, but you're limited by the time that they can give you. For no fault of your own, you might end up in an environment in a recruitment agency that has no appetite to invest in learning and development. This community is built to help you accelerate your recruitment career without limits. This place is not about egos. This community is about giving you access to some of the best recruitment professionals outside of your four walls that you can learn from, whilst connecting you with like-minded recruitment consultants focused on growth. If you want to be part of this community and progress your career without limits, then make sure you sign yourself up to our waiting list and to be informed of our soft launch in December. You can find the link to the waiting list in the episode show notes. I'd love to see you there. Come join us and be part of the first dedicated community for recruitment professionals focused on growth. That's enough from me. Now back to the podcast. Welcome 
Welcome to the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Oliver Cook, who leads the West Coast and South Coast USA offices for Faden International across five specialist brands. Uh, Oliver joined the recruitment industry straight out of university in 2011. And since then, he has climbed the ranks of one of the fastest growing recruitment companies across the world, as well as uh, taking his career to the States and has been there. Um, he's just sharing with me nearly more time now than, well, the most time in his adult life. So really interested to uh, dig into your story, Oliver, and how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I was just saying I've got a bit of a cold, so I'm, not, I'm sorry if I sound a little bit congested, but um, otherwise it's good. It's Friday. Uh, I'm in Dallas and uh, the weather's awesome at this time of year. So it's, uh, yeah, it's nice. Feeling good. Love it. So where we start is, Oliver, what is your opinion in what characteristics and traits that you think make up a highly successful recruitment consultant? Yeah, I think that's a good one. Um, you know, I, I'm probably not going to say anything that's uh, that 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 people haven't heard before, right? I think it's, I think first and foremost, I'm a massive believer in hard work beats talent every single day of the week. Um, and you know, if you don't have the work ethic, then you know, regardless of how talented you are, building relationships, communicating with people, um, or how charismatic you are, if you if you don't work hard, you're not going to succeed, and you get beat, you're going to get beaten by your competitors out there. So I think first and foremost, it's having the work ethic, the mentality, the positive attitude, mental toughness, um, competitive mindset, you know, all of those things that that I think people would typically look for. A couple of things that I tend to look for in in uh, from a mental aspect as well is particularly in junior people, the way we hire people is fairly organic. You know, we, we do tend to focus on graduate hiring and kind of build people from there, but sort of both the commercial awareness of of how business works i think is important um and and not everyone has that naturally um and and secondly sort of a bit of a particularly if you're in specialist markets um the ability to learn quickly and the ability to and the enthusiasm to learn quickly as well um and i think that um you know having sort of that intellectual curiosity to go out there and actually learn your space learn your market become an actual expert um you know we're we're living in the age of the internet where um, there's unlimited resources to to learn what you need to um, so there's no excuse really in, in in my mind so I think first and foremost in the mental side and 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 that piece it, it's that um, in terms of skills obviously you know the ability to communicate the ability to build relationships um, the ability to be authentically yourself and you know um, and, and 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 persuade and convince people to 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 look at opportunities or, or use your service um, are all are all important things as well. Interesting. How different, obviously you as a graduate, right? I saw you went to, is it Portsmouth you went to? Correct. How different do you think the graduates are when, you, if you look at back who you are in 2011 compared to the graduates that you see now and me? Do you think, because a lot of people talk about it, right? Snowflake generation, whatever you want to call it. I didn't go to university. I, I was born in 1993, so might be in that bracket maybe but what i don't know any distinct distinctions you think yeah i mean look i i, I we're a I, th I think millennials first and foremost get an extremely bad rap right like us millennials uh you know always, <laughs> everyone's always complaining that like we don't do anything we are a business that's been built exclusively on millennials so frankly i think it's um can i swear on this podcast I yeah of course you can I come on right, just, just double <laughs> Um, uh, I think it's bullshit that, you know, millennials don't work hard and don't, you know, want to achieve things and be successful. Um, and you know, we, I think we, as a business have proved that, right. We have 800 people around the world and I'd say the vast majority are millennials and one of the fastest growing recruitment businesses in the world. Um, so I think certainly our generation has, has that, I, I definitely see in like kind of the newer generation coming through. I mean, you know, I think every generation looks down at the generation below and, and sort of is like, you know, I worked harder than you and, <laughs> and, you know, it was much harder in my day. I didn't even have LinkedIn and all the rest of it. <laughs> um, but I, I, you know, I, th I, I think if you find the right people, like I, I'm, I'm an optimist, right? Like everyone wants to be successful. Everyone wants to, um, you know, achieve things in their life, even if it's down to, to small things like 
owning a house or sending their kids to college or owning a car, like small mm. things like that. Like everyone has goals, whether it be financially or also in terms of your career. And, and uh, you know, I think you can find the people that will do that uh, who have the right motivations. So interesting. So uh, just for, for context for everyone, I know we were talking a bit before, but a, a big chunk of your recruitment career has been in a leadership capacity. Um, so you just mentioned sort of a, where sort of Faden International are today. But where what did Faden International look like in your first year in recruitment? And um, how would you describe your first year in recruitment? Uh, it's it's a very different company to to what it was 10 years ago. I'm now in my 10th year in the business, which starts to make me feel quite old to be honest but um yeah it's it you know when when i joined in london we were a fairly you know fairly typical london-based recruitment business we were mostly finance focused in terms of the markets we covered in terms of the culture it was you know your standard kind of london recruitment agency right like it was work hard play hard um there was good banter in the office it was fun like-minded people uh, I think that was one of the things that I loved about it. Like I made some of my best friends that I still have to this day in that first year in recruitment or people who started around a similar time as me in at, at Faden. So, um, you know, it, it, it was kind of your fairly typical environment back then. I think what we always did have and what attracted me to the business was it was just this relentless ambition that mm was running through the entire business and i even got that from the interview process when i went in and met them and that was super inspiring um and this idea of like you could be you know you could be the ceo one day if you wanted to and um you know my boss who who hired me harry utan um you know had a team of five people when i started and he's now the global ceo so i think we're, we're one of those businesses where meritocracy is banded around sort of willy-nilly in in recruitment um these days and in most businesses but we are kind of an ultra meritocracy and that's kind of proved out by the people in the business you know uh, and where they are and and where they are now and how they've stayed with the business and, and grown with it in terms of who we are now um you know we're we're yeah we're obviously 800 people as i said globally um 12 offices we're much more corporate than we probably were 10 years ago, uh, which I think is a good thing in in, in a lot of ways. Um, comes with its own challenges with that, obviously, as well. And, and as you scale, there's, there's always growing pains. Um, but it's been an amazing journey. And I've, I've been very lucky from my own journey in the business. And I feel very grateful and lucky that I found this company specifically. I've had basically a different challenge and a different role for 10 years now, 10 years in a row every single year and it's sort of like okay do this role for three to six months make it work probably screw it up a little bit at the start and then you know do it well the, the next three months and the final three months you finally get it going really well and then they're like okay cool new year new challenge go and do this um and we really do put a lot of faith in young ambitious people who who have shown the ability to to step up and like i said i feel i feel very grateful and lucky that i found a company like that so I love that. So, so just to sort of put that together then, so obviously you're saying, so for the last eight years, you've been in a sort of hands-off role. Yeah. And we'll break that down. Not, not, not quite. Um, I spent a year and a half in London and, uh, was obviously a biller there learning the ropes and learning how to, how to do recruitment and learning my market and then moved to the U S in January, 2013, um, and got the chance to build a team as we, we scaled that that New York office from the the five or six of us that moved out here. Uh, so did that in my original market, which was quantitative finance, um, and um, then took on a wider role within our Selby Jennings brand, which is our, our finance focused brand. Um, and then you know after I took on that wider role, of managing a couple of desks, I went hands off at at that point. So that was probably about six years ago or so. Okay, cool, um, and. Yeah, since then I've been mostly hands off. Still keep my 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 hand yeah. in the game a little bit. You'll prove and, it, prove it to the people that you can uh, get some yeah. deals on the board. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I, I, you know, I, I love the client side of of what of the business and what we do. I get massive buzz off that, and have always been very client facing. 
um, mm. through any of my roles. And, I, you know, it's something that that's important to me. And I think it's important okay. to show that to, to your people as well. Yeah. So, right. Okay. So a few things before we, we dig deep into leadership and, and, and mindset and, and, and scaling. So what was the best piece of advice you got early on in your recruitment career? Good question. I think that I, I have this phrase that I call um, that that I say that the best recruiters are relentlessly consistent in terms of what they do every single day. Recruitment's a game where it's about a consistent amount of effort and work over a period of time. No one's ever had one good day and done a deal. No one's ever had one good week and done a deal or done multiple deals, right? It's about day after day, week after week, month after month, building that pipeline and 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 being really consistent with the activities and the things you do day to day that produce the end result and give yourself the best chance of doing deals. And I think one of the things that our founder um, said to to me one one day we were in New York and we were stuck in a snowstorm in a in a cab in New York on our way to a lunch club. And I thought I'd got him in a cab. I had him cornered. So I was like, I'll, I'll sort of pick his brain a bit. And um, I said, you know, who was the the best recruiter you've ever seen? He, right. he, he'd come from uh, S3 in the past. And he said, um, firstly, he said himself. <laughs> which wow. was not a surprise um <laughs> and 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 we laughed and then he said no actually there was a lady that you know was at was at s3 and she was just unbelievable she was um you know everyone got 10 interviews a week she'd get 20 everyone sent 20 cvs a week she sent 40 and she wasn't even necessarily particularly talented um at any one thing um but she was just she completely set her own standards and it wasn't like okay the target is to get to 10 interviews a week hit 10 and then just you know sit back and take your foot off the gas or do one deal and take your foot off the gas for the month and move on um she was just relentless and i really took that to heart and i remember when i started applying that um that's when my my billing took off as well mm. love that so relentless consistency and i think combined with that what you just said is also have high standards right and um, so let me ask you this question i think this is a great question to um ask on on, on top of that because you've got some more insight now so um i haven't got the person's name that sent me this but i think it's a great question so it is um he said when you have a top, top biller on it would be interesting to know what they think is the most important action or kpi that contributes to their success what do you think that is Ultimately, it's the amount of jobs that you generate, right? If you don't have a job platform, you can't place jobs. You know, that, 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 that's pretty simple for me, right? Having good business development, um, I think that recruitment gets easy once you get four, five, six clients that hire consistently, have headcount, actually partner with you, you know, are, uh, you know, who value your partnership, and you build a really good relationship with them and um you know you you get a consistent flow of jobs from three four five accounts as an individual contributor that's the dream right you can you can then just fill them and and if you're if you can build good relationships like that um and 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 deliver jobs you know every day every week you know that that fall into your lap or or that that generate from the activities you do that that you know after that it's uh it's it's fairly simple in my view so yeah so um it's, it's really interesting that because i i think that's probably i reckon there'll be a lot of people that weren't recruiters that listen to this that wasn't surprised by that but it's definitely an area that probably people think that they can de- de- develop the most in in terms of client development or they find it the most difficult area so like why why do you think that recruiters um have challenges in that area do you think what are the common sort of hurdles or common obstacles that recruiters face that prevent them from getting to the position that you were just talking about well it's 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 hard right <laughs> it's business development is not easy it there's a lot of rejection you know you 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 get the doors slammed in your face and you know i i i think it's not easy i think one of the biggest mistakes that people make when it comes to bd is they they get some success with one activity 
that produces results. For example, I spec candidates out and I get jobs. Um, and then they'll revert back to that because they've had a bit of success doing that as that they, they view that as the only way they can pull jobs. Whereas I'm sure if I went through the last five deals we rung in Faden, um, out of those five deals, that, that job that was placed was probably pulled in five different ways. Mm. One might have been a spec. One might have been from a lead. One might have been from um, a, a client inquiry direct to us or from a key account that we have. One might have been from a uh, flipping a senior candidate into a client. You know, there, there are so many different ways to develop business and pull jobs. As, an, as, a, as a 360 recruiter, I think being able to connect the dots on that that's the number one thing that I don't see people doing enough of is doing enough of business development and keeping with it because it is hard. Right? People give up on it pretty easily. And two, doing enough different types of activities that can generate you jobs. Mm. Um, obviously, there's a, there's a skill to, to how you do some of those activities and being, you know, you develop that over time. But at the end of the day, it's BD, right? It, it, it is a volume-based activity. Yeah, no. You've got to do enough of it. I think that, I think that's a really good insight that you've shared there on on yeah don't don't be one dimensional with it that that I think that's a, it's a really good point. Um, but what what because people always want to know like what okay Oliver but what is the most effective way of doing it? <laughs> people want to know the one way. Do you know what I mean? But like what what have you seen? I guess if you were to put it down to maybe three core ways, like what would you say has been maybe for you personally or for for the highly successful recruiters that you've seen grow. Like, what do you see be the most effective ways of growing clients and, and growing your client development and, and network? Um, I, I don't think there's one silver bullet, right? Like, mm. I, I think that that question is, is, is the problem, right? Because yeah. people think that there's like a silver bullet. There's this one way to, to pull jobs and develop your business. Ultimately, once I think going back to the point I made before around developing a client into an account that comes back to you once mm. you get a job you've got to deliver on it and you know you've got to deliver for your clients right and i think in the recruitment industry sometimes there's not enough focus on client service and being you know just just providing an, an amazing service to your clients and delivering ultimately the candidate they want to hire who ends up because it's, it's always you always typically business. hear you always typically hear like, I need new clients, new clients. Do you know what I mean? So I guess how, how, how many of the sort of high, high achieving recruiters that you've seen in, in Fade and how much, how many of them would you say actually have an effective existing client strategy in terms of growing those clients um, into accounts? I, I, I think, I think they, they all do certainly in the U S when, when we, uh, I'll be honest, like when we were in London, we had grown very fast and to the point when I joined the business 10 years ago. And I think we had, you know, um, some issues with client relationships as a result of that. It was, there was an approach at the time of do the deal. Don't worry about the relationship. The deal is most one? important, right? Yeah. On to the next one. And when we came to the US, we very consciously talked about how we wanted to build the business. Um, we wanted to do it the right way um, and build actual relationships that lasted over years and became better because we are a perm focused business that's super important to us from a company valuation perspective as well of we, you know, we need to show that we can grow accounts consistently year after year with permanent fees. Um, and we've been really successful at that. So we, we did implement a client services team, which is called the Faden partnership group. You know, we do have a list of 25. And what, what's their job? Sorry. What's so their, their job is, is, is purely client service and account management. Okay. So it's really land and expand business development within those accounts. They don't take any of the commission away from our recruiters. So they get paid from a completely separate pot on a bonus, um, on a bonus uh, structure. And, um, you know, their goal is just to enhance that relationship with that set mm -hmm. of clients. And, you know, we've now got a number of accounts across the U.S. that are in the multi-millions of dollars on an annual basis. Wow. From, from doing that and and you know that strategy is paid off and you know it's the world we live in today like gone are the days where you can you know sort of you know throw a deal in and not not follow process with hr and yeah. sign terms at the end and well, kind of thumb a deal mm. in um without you know following process and developing the relationship so 
Yeah, so real quick on that, because I think people will be interested. Like, so let's just talk about it from this angle. What so they they one, you've got dedicated resource developing that amazing. Um, and so I guess what do you see? Let's say there'll be a lot of typical 360 recruits that don't have that resource, right? Or dedicated team that do that. So I guess from your perspective, what do you see 360 recruiters typically do wrong that prevents them from turning that client that might be spending 100 grand of them a year or less than that to that client becoming a 200, 300 grand client? Would you say what are the typical things that the people recruit do wrong? I think it is uh, the point I made earlier, caring too much about the deal versus the relationship as well and how to develop that. Um, and um, not following process with HR, not following process with, with, with the client, going outside of that, and maybe they end up doing a deal off the back of it, but the HR then goes, okay, great, you've done a deal, but we don't want to work with you again uh, because <laughs> you didn't follow what we wanted you to do. Um, I, I, I think that's one of the number one things. Um, I also believe like we're, we're in one of the most relationship-driven businesses in the world, right? At the end of the day, you know, it's cliche, but people do buy from people. And um, if you are able to um, get past the, the transactional nature that sometimes is there with recruitment and into a personal relationship with your clients where they want to work with you, they want to partner with you versus seeing you as a sort of necessary evil. Um, I think that's, that's, mm. that's the key, right? Yeah, for sure. Okay, and then fi- final thing, well, might not be the final thing, but just real quick one on sort of client development real a bit granular here but I'm sure it's something that comes up a lot in conversations for you from from people but this this always gets messaged to me like what I'd love to hear your thoughts on how your people get over the we work to a PSL objection (laughs) because I'm sure that I don't know how if that's even more common in America but like it's just something I always get messages about. Like, I don't know if you've picked up on things or picked, like what, what's, what typically comes up for you when you, when you hear people go, Ollie, I just can't like, they're telling me they work to PSL. Like, I just don't know how to crack this account. What, what comes up for yeah. you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's again, taking that long-term approach and being open to it. Yeah. Okay. We do work for, uh, to, towards a PSL, but, um, you know, how can I win your business? Um, and and staying in touch with that contact, at least if you've got to that person that's telling you that, that's better than no response at all. Um, and then developing the relationship from there, like a bunch of accounts. Our biggest account in the US right now, which is a, a, a large hedge fund, um, we tried to crack them open for for five six years, right? Mm. And 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 we worked on it, and you know, eventually we got there, they gave us a chance. When they did give us a chance, we delivered. Then we delivered again. Then we built the relationship. And then now, you know, we're doing two, you know, two plus million dollars a year with that single account. Do you think um, recruiters underestimate the power of follow-up? Absolutely. It's all follow-up. That's, that's that, you know, that sending one email and not getting a response going, I, I BD'd that client. <laughs> like it's it, it. that, that, that that's that's not the game right it's 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 all about follow-up and then when you do get a no that's better than no response so you've opened yeah. the conversation now and you can you can then develop the relationship from there yeah. um and and look at the end of the day if some clients have psl they don't want to work with you there's hundreds or thousands of others in your market that you can work with so yeah. don't waste i always have a rule with my guys of spend as spend you know, put as much time into clients as they put into you. And that goes for business development as well. If they very clearly don't want to work with you and you've tried a number of times, you keep in touch with them, move on. Like there's mm. always another client that you can work with. Yeah. Um, and, and at some point they may come back around and, and, and may work with you in the future if you keep in touch and keep up the follow-up. Yeah. Okay. So look, let, let's, let's dig into, um, leadership Holly. so like firstly i have to ask you like you've mentioned some big numbers you joined a, an organization where yeah there's close to 100 people there's now 800 people in the organization so why 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 is it do you think that oliver cook has sort of ended up taking on the opportunities and responsibilities that you have um and and not your colleagues like why why has it ended up being you do you think um look i th- I, I think like i said i some- try and be a bit humble with it but um i i am lucky and grateful that i joined the company i did 
and that puts a lot of um, responsibility and trust in young ambitious people and not every business is like that when we got moved to the us they you know the five or six of us were all in our early to mid 20s i was 23 and they basically said look here's a million bucks go make it work um which was an amazing opportunity pretty pretty daunting um we i'd been to new york for three days when i was 12 um so <laughs> that was pretty weird walking through Times square the first time being like i live here now um and i i, I think you know first and foremost i i'm very lucky that i work in a company that gives me the opportunity to step up and do that secondly um look i think i was i, I have always been good at um teaching recruitment and coaching people how to do the job um and doing it in a way that that hopefully makes sense and explaining the why behind everything and um you know making them quite skillful at, at what they do um and then in hopefully inspiring them to to work hard and and achieve what they want to achieve after they know how to do the job um i think you know if you're a, a billing manager that that's the key thing right you know get good at at, at teaching how to do the job um and how to to make people good at what they do rather than just giving them a phone and a computer and going go make some calls and see what happens um and and then you know afterwards it's all about inspiring and motivating and encouraging people uh and and making them better um i like i think obviously a lot of people get into recruitment because there's a lot of rewards um financially progression things like that i think the best managers that i see are really passionate about developing people um i think that goes for any industry uh, but particularly recruitment where it where it becomes a game of scaling i believe in if you create you're not a leader until you create a leader who creates another leader and that's what the game is about at the end of the day so i've spent a lot of my time in the last you know five or six years creating leaders beneath me who can also do the things that i mentioned right and that's how i think you know how we operate as a business at, at faden as well um because we are an organically grown business we very rarely make experienced hires particularly at the management level um and that that gives us some weaknesses in some ways being that insular but i think it's a massive strength of ours as well um so you know really that i think uh, it's those three things that have, have kind of helped me be successful so far okay interesting so and then uh I'd, I'd love to know this then like what do you think are like the three non-negotiables of the failing culture that everyone abides to three non-negotiables do you think one. makes fading fading this like yeah that, that's really what what everyone yeah, abides i by. mean I, I i'm trying not to give you the corporate answer and i'm trying to give you <laughs> the, the, the real the real answer Look, I, I, I think i think i think back in the day right i get i'll give you the corporate answer and then i'll give you the what i think is the real answer as well yeah okay so um the corporate answer is you know ability character loyalty that's our three values yeah and i do actually believe like although it's a bit of a cliche corporate thing to talk about i do think that is consistent across our business right okay organically grown people are loyal to us we are loyal back to them you know a, an example of that is throughout this pandemic we didn't cut any commissions or any salaries for anyone in our business because we are very aware that the people driving the value in the business are the ones that are their day-to-day -day that are hitting the phones that are building the relationships and doing the deals to disincentivize them in an environment like we've all just been through like we have to sell our way out of what this position we're in and we took that view and as a result you know we've actually held up really well throughout the crisis character you know like, like i said you know we, we put a lot of trust and value in in, in young ambitious people that, that want to step up and want to succeed and and likewise with ability like if you show the ability to step up in this business we'll we'll give you the the chance to do it um so that's probably the corporate answer um and and the i you know the the real answer is like we don't have anything proprietary that no one else has right like our people and our culture are, are who we are and like you know we used to say back in the day work hard make money have fun right and that sounds <laughs> that sounds like kind of cheesy a little bit now but like it, it, it 
at the heart of it, like that's the environment we want to create where people do work really hard. You do get rewarded for it. And while you do it, you have fun with like-minded people and, you know, you can develop your career with that. So um, that's what I'd say. Interesting. So let me ask you this then, Oli, because I, I feel like you would have come up against this. Like, how have you gone about leading and creating leaders in sort of areas of this business that you previously haven't worked in as a consultant? That must yeah. have been challenging. Yeah, definitely. And, and uh, you know, I've, I've, I've been through that the last couple of years. I like finance has kind of been my bread and butter, the financial services world. And in the last 18 months, I've moved into a role where I'm managing a number of offices across all of our brands. So um, we have a life sciences brand, we have a uh, infrastructure and, and renewables brand, engineering brand, a supply chain and procurement brand, we have a tech brand, and then we have our FS brand, which is is our largest business. Um, so that was always my comfort zone. And I've had to, to step out of that, particularly in the last 18 months. Uh, and it's definitely challenging. Ultimately, I'm not going to go and work with a leader who's the best um, at, um, you know, life sciences recruitment in the market and tell them how to do their job and recruit in that market better than them. They've done that for five years. I'm never going to add value for them in that world. But I do think that leadership and coaching and development is consistent across any market. Um, and there are some recruitment skills that are also obviously consistent across any market and i think that's where i've i've tried to add value for people of like okay how do you build a team how do you retain people how do you develop that person from one deal every three months to 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 eight deals a year or 10 deals a year um and and being a value add on that side is is where you got to be right like as you progress you're you're not you're not always going to manage people in a market that you fully understand or know really well obviously mm. gaining some some basic knowledge of that market helps and understanding the nuances of that space um and how they how to recruit because it does vary but ultimately it's it's more about how can i add value to you from from my experience and and it's more around that sort of leadership development and people development piece Nice, yeah. So making sure that you go into those situations with the humility to be like, look, I know, I, I'm no, I probably can't add value this this area, but I can add value in these areas, and then work away from that point. Yeah, that, that's that's really interesting. Then, so 100%. I guess just just on that, then if you work with a lot of people like that, I think you, I'm sure you've you've heard the saying that the sort of billing lead, the billing manager, is the diff, most difficult role in in recruitment. Um, well, what do you see? What do you typically then help leaders with then get better at or improve at that um, you typically find yourself doing with people? Um, <clears throat> I think a, a big weakness of my own was was definitely time management and organization and being uh, having structure to the way that you do things. Um, and so I had to learn the hard way through a lot of mistakes that <laughs> you need to have all of those things. Um, those are things that I'm not good at. Um, naturally. And so um, I, I think that's something that I've been able to help people with. I think how you manage your business, how you spot problems ahead of time, uh, how you can be a proactive versus a reactive manager, um, how you how you train somebody to manage, which is 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 also not easy to do. Um, mm. yeah, that that's something that, that I've always kind of worked on. Um, you know, how do you drive activity without being a KPI monster, right? How do you mm. inspire and motivate somebody to 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 set their own standards, like I said earlier, um, and and go above and beyond without being like send some more fucking CVs, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and and you know, I think I think there is a skill to that, which hopefully I I do. I mean, now and again, I may have said that, uh, but <laughs> you know, we we try and avoid that, right? It's more about explaining the why behind things how can you inspire somebody to, to go above and beyond versus the stick if that makes sense mm. yeah yeah for sure that was one of the questions that i definitely had down if you look at your organization and the world that you live in there's going to be so many systems that fade and have and we have the fade and way of doing things and that would have been a big part as to why you scaled right but Absolutely. i think there's then the, like your experience sharing one of the questions i wrote down was like that sort of you can be you can potentially go 
too far one side, which is overemphasis on KPIs, which can then potentially be counterintuitive, right, in terms of people's performance and activity. So it's interesting you say that. So I guess th- this comes up a lot, and it's all, it always comes up around drivers, which is typically the word, right? You're saying why and for them to encourage them to overperform and set their own standards. But I guess how have you, um, I'm sure you've obviously put together maybe a bit of a system now, got better at working out how to encourage consultants to find out their drivers or what their drivers are. Like, is that, is that been important, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, we, we try to figure that out in the interview process itself, obviously, <clears throat> excuse me. I think everyone's got a, I think particularly when you're hiring young graduates, for me, I, I like to hire people that have a self-awareness where how do you look for that so i i think you know it's asking people like do they understand their weaknesses like i you know the typical interview question is tell me about your biggest weakness everyone has a canned answer prepared for that right like, <laughs> like you start oh, i'm a perfectionist right okay thanks um so i, I asked them for name me your, your top five weaknesses and by three or four they really have to think about it and they start being honest okay um, or somebody that sits there and can't tell me five weaknesses. Okay, you're 21 years old, you're a graduate, and you're already the finished article. Probably not the case, right? So, <laughs> um, you know, that I, I, people have a self awareness, and uh, I think is is very important. And people who know themselves tend to understand their why, what gets them out of bed in the morning, um, and and that will change for people over time. Obviously, with with different priorities and things like that. But, you know, we always like to establish that in the interview process. I have this um, thing that I talk about a lot called the eight great working habits. Again, it sounds a bit cheesy, but I learned learned them doing door-to-door sales at university where I literally walked around with a bag selling makeup, which was was kind of weird and embarrassing at times. (laughs) Um, But it taught me a ton about rejection and business development and building relationships and all the rest of it. Um, I didn't wear the makeup, so but, um, <laughs> sometimes, but, um, yeah, so it was the, the last one on those eight great working habits is remember why you're here and what you're doing it for. And I think if, you know, for, for any, for whatever career you're in, right, whether it's recruitment or anything else, I think if you, when things don't go well, when things don't go your way, when you have a bad week, a bad month, a bad day, whatever, that's the thing that gets you through it is knowing your why and knowing why you get out of bed in the morning and remembering that. And, you know, I talk about that a lot to, to my guys and the people that I manage, because if, if you don't know what that is, you need to figure it out quick because you will have those days or those weeks or those months where it is shit and, you know, it's not going your way and um, you need to get through it. So that, that, that's a, that's something that I talk about a lot. Yeah. Interesting. So, just just to, to build on that, and then I'd love to just um, pick your brain around the nuances of the US market. And I think you're very well positioned to talk about what you've learned along the way. And I think there's loads of recruitment businesses wanting to expand internationally. Uh, some get it right, some get it wrong. But I guess, obviously, you, you as you've shared with us, you, you've become very successful at developing fresh talent, right? And I think a lot of recruitment businesses ideally would want to be able to grow fresh talent like fade and have right um but the, this question i have that, that sort of someone sent over is like something that i guess you have to deal with as a manager is how you help people that doubt themselves like how do you actually help people overcome that doubt so you're talking about the anchor point of their why but a lot of this and when i speak to a lot of recruiters on here that might have three four five years of experience a lot of the reasons why maybe they didn't excel in the first year is confidence so like how have what's been your what's been yeah learnings on that on like how you've got better at people actually getting better and not doubting themselves yeah i mean like confidence naturally comes with success um you know when when you get you know when you see the process through when you do the deal it's going to come but i always say to to my guys in the onboarding process build 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 right tell like celebrate the small wins even if it's the uh, pulling a lead or you know like getting a great candidate in or just the basics of the job celebrate those wins and build someone up half the battle with a graduate who's in their first job is convincing them that they can do it Mm. like and i I massively believe in that like build them up 
reinforce that that and and reinforce that positivity and and encourage them to to know that they can do it because like i said at the beginning recruitment is an accumulation of small gains over a period of time and if you can get somebody excited about pulling a lead excited about generating a really good candidate excited about having a good conversation with a client um that's half the battle and then the rest of it kind of follows from there um so yeah like giving them the confidence they can do it just by positive reinforcement um is there i think getting like the onboarding process with that generally is is super important um you know how do you get somebody comfortable coming to the office in a it's their first job how do you get them you know like making sure they make friends across the office right i said it before like a big part of who we are is we have fun while we do it and it's pointless if you're not having fun so you know hopefully you know we do a good job of kind of making people feel comfortable when they join us quickly um and you know if you feel comfortable getting out of bed and getting to the office every morning and you're making friends and you're enjoying the people around you the work's going to become more enjoyable as well so yeah. th- those are things I, I like that yeah build 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 i really like that so um Ollie, like, how would you that? How would you sort of wrap up maybe in like two or three things, like the main differences in terms of the nuances of being a recruit in the American market that people should be aware of if I don't know thinking about expanding into America or um, are in the process of doing it at the moment. What are the main sort of cultural nuances or differences you think from a recruiting perspective that we need to know about? I, I think there's a lot. Um, <laughs> like we're, we're we're quite different uh, us. English and Brits versus the uh, versus the US much more than I realized before I moved here. I think I, I always say when we moved here, like we didn't know what we didn't know. Um, mm. And we just sort of like we're a bunch of 20 somethings moved out. We I think we had a collective experience across the six or seven of us of like 15 years recruitment experience, <laughs> like, like cumulative. Um, we were pretty junior guys. And so like we had to learn from our mistakes pretty quickly, um, even down to like using American spellings in your emails versus yeah. English spellings, like putting a Z in there versus an S and stuff like that, because you do that in the US and some people think you can't spell. Right? <laughs> they, 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 they don't know that in England we spell it differently. So it's small things like that. Um, what, what I did love about coming to the US is recruitment is a much less developed market. It's less, much less saturated. Um, and the industry as a whole is seen as a much more professional industry than maybe it's perceived as in the UK. UK. Um, and clients and candidates treat you accordingly, right? I I used that phrase earlier, sort of a necessary evil. Um, I think that's less, you know, that there's less of that perception in the U S um, and sort of headhunting as they tend to call it here or recruitment, is seen as that prof- is, is a very professional industry that is changing as it's becoming more mature here over the last seven eight years in particular there's a lot of british companies like ourselves and others that have come here and scaled really fast um but i, I always loved the fact that i felt a bit more respected by a client yeah. here and, and and a bit seen a bit more as a partner versus as somebody who's like you know on, on, i think it's really unfortunate in the uk um recruitment is amazing because anybody with any background can pick it up and change their lives. Um, and if they have the work ethic and the talent to do it. Um, but at the same time, because of those low barriers to entry, there are, you know, there are people that some of the standards can be low. Yeah. The the standards get, get reduced and and there are people that maybe, you know, shouldn't be in the industry and Mm. it gives, you know, the perception that, you know, the, the, it gives the industry a bad name at times and, um that's a shame because i love the industry it's 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 certainly like changed my life and i've seen it change a lot of lives you know for whether it be friends or people in our business um but well i I think it's quite nice in the us that it it doesn't have that perception yet Mm. um and and so that's a good thing are the fees bigger Yes, so our average deal size in the US is bigger than our average deal size in the UK. Um, and so, yes, you can generally, I think back to the original point, right? Like 
because it's less saturated, there aren't people driving down the fees by undercutting everyone else and reducing the overall standard of the work done. Um, at the same time, I think if you work in in markets where it's overbroked, where it is saturated, if you're going to go and do accountancy recruitment in the US, you, the fees are going to be the same or lower than they are in the UK or basic IT recruitment. I think where we've done well is we've always focused on that those business critical spaces where it's underbroked and there's not a lot of competition and it's really that mid to senior level talent that is hard to find um and um you know kind of that needle in a haystack that no one else can find and being real specialists within those markets um if you do that then the fees are definitely bigger so yeah and then so look you've got i mean look you've been there for a long time now so like how how do you see it there, there as you've said there there's a lot of different um uk originally obviously um agencies starting in the uk going to the the us like how do you see it shaping up so like you mentioned like it seems like maybe there might be some more saturation obviously um but like how do you see it shaping up over the next sort of three to five years with probably more and more uk firms going over to the us yeah definitely definitely and and that's <clears throat> it's a compliment to us and, and others that have done it that you know people have seen the some of the success that that, that we're having and want to replicate that um so I, I there will be more competition inevitably but at the same time i think that you know that we've all learned a lot this year yeah. about, about ourselves about our businesses about the world we live in and it's been a it's been a pretty crazy year for everyone. Um, I think that one of the results off the back of this year is that we've seen is is the strength of client relationships that you've built in the past. When the times are bad, those are the clients that will will rely on you and you'll rely on them. And I think if you're a business that doesn't operate that way, then you'll always struggle um, to, to scale and, and also to to go through those those harder times. Um, that's definitely something I've learned this year and, and it's been a big positive for us, um, as a business as well. So, so do you think that's where typically UK firms might get it wrong then is that not invest uh, enough into the, the client relationship side, because isn't it, isn't it quite the norm then to have the sort of setup that you have in the US, that more sort of 180 model where you have people just focusing on the client side and people focusing on delivery. So do you think that's where people could potentially slip up is it is not yeah, maybe taking the client relationship part for granted or not investing enough in it? Yeah, in my experience, yes. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's, you know, again, I, I said earlier, the fact that we're so insular and we've all grown up in the business, um, you know, I've, I've done a lot more networking the last couple of years, um, you know, within the industry than I have prior. But, you know, I don't know a lot about how other businesses operate, to be honest. Um, and, and like, like, like I said, that that's a strength and a weakness for us. Um, you know, we, we have a way of doing things and we have the things we believe in and we think we do them very well. And we tend to focus on that versus focusing on what other people don't do well or do better than us or, or whatever. And, and, you know, like, uh, I, th I think we could do more of that. So it's, it's difficult for me to answer, answer that question because I just, I don't necessarily know how other businesses operate. What I will say is if you look at the big US recruitment firms, like the the K forces of this world and um, Insight Global and, and kind of some of these other businesses that are pretty large and have, have scaled pretty fast, they you know do have that 180 model and that's a lot more common out here. But again, I think where we've taken market share away from some of those firms is the 360 model does work well if you're a specialist recruiter. And there aren't many US, large US recruitment companies that operate that way. So yeah, I think that's the other thing I picked up in nuances of like, yeah, they like if I get Ollie, the business owner as a client, I'll say, yeah, Ollie, I can do all your recruitment rather than I'll do that mid to senior job title and only that which is obviously way more common in, in the UK. Um, but to, to as we come to the end here then, like just to tie that together then, so if I'm a recruiter listening right now and my business plan in 2021 is to take my market from the UK to the US, what, what's your, your free tips to me, mate? 
would you be saying to me if I was the, the, uh, the, in the process of expanding into the US? Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I, th- I think the three things um, are things that, that we have always done when we've launched new locations, new offices, is um, do it with an organic team. Right? Don't go and hire in some director from the US who you know, may know the market but doesn't know you as a business. Because I think the danger is if you do that and then you hire a bunch of other experienced people you know, who are local or whatever, you just end up franchising your business. You know, you, if you're big enough and doing well enough to expand to a new location, new geography, trust in the people that got you there in the first place and, and grow organically. So when, whenever we launch an office, you know, we, we always try and make sure that we go with an organic team of at least four or five. Um, and we've done this now with seven offices in the US, um, of at least four or five that have grown up, understand us, understand how we operate um, and can go into that new market and replicate it there. So that's right. number one. So be, so be pro- just quickly, I think it's it's like be protective of that because I think you yeah. may think you might have the perfect person. You might think you may not view it as a bit of a shortcut, but it might be the quicker route, mightn't it, to to go down the route of hiring someone that knows that market. But yeah, be protective of your culture and what you yeah what yeah. you know that works. And 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 go yeah look, and trust in the people that want to go out there. Hopefully, if you can find them internally in the business and and move them out there to to start it because that's how you you create. A, a, we call it like a kind of golden thread within your business where the culture is consistent across lots of locations. I think where other companies struggle is they go, right, we're going to launch in the US. Let's hire five locals and try and replicate what we do. It's not going to work because it's going to be franchised. They're going to do it differently. So that's number one. I say number two is work in that market from afar, develop a client base and a candidate base and and develop that before you actually land. So um yeah let's just just quickly i've heard that before let's make that a bit clear like what would you i know it's different different markets but what would you say a lot the core metrics that you're looking for to be like you know what yeah i'm I'm confident that we've got a market there we talking i don't know x amount of clients we talking get your billings to x you know i mean what would you say the sort of typical barometers that you'd look for to be like yeah let's do it so we we tend to look at at least a million dollars done in that region Okay. You know, to, to to warrant opening an office and the potential to grow that office to 50 people. I think nice. un- unless you can grow that office to 50 people, like there's not really much point in launching it. You can plant flags. Why, why 50? Well, I, I think by 50, you can get the the scale where it actually becomes a profit center that's, that's valuable to the business, mm. right? Like, yes, you can, you can make a decent amount of profit with 20 people or 30 people, but they all have to perform really, really well. Right. If if you're going to generate an amount of profit, let's call it a million dollars plus in a in a location, you're going to need 50 people really, because you know then you you know half of them won't do a deal every month perhaps, um, and the other half will, um, and and to get to that level where you're generating a, a an actual value add amount of profit, then is is kind of 50. That that that's what we look for. Um, and then, so like doing a million dollars before you actually land kind of proves out that concept that, that it is scalable and you can do it there and then go with an organic team. Um, nice. Third tip uh, then. Yeah. What's the it. final tip then be? The, the, the final tip. Um, third tip, I would say, um, be open to, to to new ideas and new ways of doing things as well. Like I, I know that might be slightly contradictory to my first point about keeping that consistent culture. But, <laughs> you know, like at, at the same time, like we've learned a lot since we came here. And, and like I said, we didn't know what we didn't know. And we made a lot of mistakes. Like we, we did screw some things up. Like it hasn't been a smooth ride all along the way. Um, and we've learned a lot from those. Like, like I said, the culture is different out here. Like we are a different kind of business to the one we are in London and Europe, right? Like we do operate slightly differently. The same values are consistent, but the culture is different, right? Like the culture is different in Hong Kong and Singapore to what it is in New York. Um, Mm. And I think being accepting of that, even I think we found in the US as we've gone to different regions in the US, it's different even in the US. Mm. Like the culture is different in California to what it is in New York it's different in texas to what it is in boston and so i think having that 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 sort of golden thread like i said of values that are consistent and similar ways of doing things but 
also being open to managing people and your teams and your business slightly differently based on the culture is is important as well yeah so so i guess what you're also saying there is, is respect the culture isn't it and don't don't sort of think or make the decision that it's like it shouldn't be this way do you know what i mean and, and respect, yeah so i really like that so okay got five quick fire questions for you before we fire away all right so first one is if you could change the industry what would you want to improve I, I, I said it earlier, I think um, higher barriers to entry will improve the standards. What book have you read that has had the biggest impact on you? How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Yeah, that's an absolute crack of that one. It's a great one. If, uh, so if you could write a LinkedIn post that could be seen by every single recruitment consultant across the world, what would you want it to say? <laughs> good one um i'm 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 gonna be kind of like selfish in that i I'd, I'd i'd like more oh it's not There's, a fading job advert is it oh yeah <laughs> that's i can't really say that can i um i uh I, yeah i mean look like we we i i think i we we would like to publicize us what you know what we've done more so if i can talk mm. about you know, our journey a bit like we've had on, on, on this hour while I was really open to doing this. I think that's, that's a big plus because, you know, hopefully whether it inspires, you know, somebody to work in their own company harder and, and do something different or new or, or join us, you know, that, that, that's a good thing. Right. So. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, what did you spend your first biggest commission paycheck on? That's a fun one. Um, <laughs> so uh, it was funny. So is that, can I tell a story on this? Yeah, of course you can. So um, I well, I did a couple of deals quite quick in the first few months I joined the business, but they're all three-month notices. So we oh, pay right. a month in arrear on invoice, right? So uh, after Candy starts, we'll pay the next month. And so I had three deals kind of stacked up, and I was about six months into the job. And I, I, I was on an 18,000 pound base salary, right? Like it was peanuts at the time as most people start on in recruitment. And yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I was at the point where I was having to make a packed lunch every day and I had to borrow money off Wonga.com the, the last week before I got that paycheck because I was too proud to ask my parents for money. <laughs> um, and I borrowed money off Wonga.com, 150 quid, just to buy my packed lunch and get me to work every day. And then... <laughs> Uh, I knew I was getting about, it was about 11,000 pounds, something like that, yeah. which was, for me, it was like, I was, yeah, that's big. Thought I, was, thought I was fucking loaded at the time. Balling, man. Um, yeah, exactly. So um, we, yeah, I, I had my mate's birthday party on the Saturday and I thought it was coming in on the Monday. And I, I woke up on the Saturday morning and I just thought, I'll, uh, I'll check whether it's coming. Why not? And I, I looked at my bank account and it was sitting there. Um, oh. and I was, I was, oh, well, you did see where you got more money out of Wonga. I, I think, I think I, yeah, I, I paid Wonga back <laughs> straight away. Um, uh, I, I think I did a Ravinelli around the house. Like I was, I um, and so, uh, yeah, I, and then we went out and had a very, very big night that night. So, really? um, that's, that, that's probably the first thing I spent my money on and then paid back, uh, paid back all my credit cards. So awesome. Love that yeah. mate. Um, last one, what's the ultimate goal? your recruitment career tough one um i it it, it it's tough right like for mike i i don't know whether recruitment career is the right answer or career in general like i i want the same things as everyone else right like you want to you want um to be rewarded for your hard work and and you know whether that you know financially and through significance and progression and and things like that um you know that those those things are important to me uh but ultimately like if i look back on my career now so far and there's there's a long way to go but i think we've we've also like impacted a lot of people whether that be people who've joined us as a business who may have gone gone and left and gone on to do great things elsewhere or people that are still with us and like that's something that's personally like really inspiring for me day to day now of like seeing people progress and seeing them succeed 
and not just about my own achievements but like seeing that and i think you know i'm a big believer that and i talk about this with the managers that i work with as well of like be unselfish be more more motivated about their success than your own because you know everyone hates that selfish manager that's clearly in it for themselves um and so i i think that that's quite a cool thing and it's kind of intangible to say that right there's you can't really put something specific on that but being able to look back in 10 years time from now and be like cool like all these people that have worked for us or worked with us or even clients that we've helped like a lot over the years and worked with for, for years and years being able to be involved in that i think is pretty cool so yeah amazing Ollie, it's been an absolute pleasure thank you you too mate thank you very much well done on making it to the very end of the episode i hope you enjoyed it I've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? And If you have enjoyed the podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave a honest review in your favorite podcast streaming platform. That will simply mean that we're able to reach more people with this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to subscribe completely free on your favorite podcast streaming platforms. And we'll be back next week with a new episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast.